0: This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with founder of the multi-million dollar global tech company, Lightspeed VT, and huge social media influencer, Bradley. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being, who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, my buddy and mentor, Brad Lee, founder, CEO of Lightspeed V2, the world's leading interactive training system, host of the top-rated podcast, Dropping Bombs, owner of multiple companies, author of the best-selling book, The Hard Way, and Ferrari-driving, cigar-smoking, Bodybuilding, philanthropic family guy allows me to uncover the backstories of his life to share how and why he has become one of the most influential entrepreneurs, business philosophers, and success coaches on the planet, giving us an inside glimpse into his secrets to helping generate millions for heavy hitters, including Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar and Grant Cardone elaborating on his sacred six truths that will help everybody take ourselves to the next level to become the very best version of ourselves as we take control of our lives and make more money than we ever dreamed possible. And so, if you're listening to this and you think you're an entrepreneur, guess again. If you want to be an entrepreneur, guess again, take out a pad of paper and take some notes. Because Brad, at the earliest age, realized that you could figure stuff out. Tell us a story that might be about maybe Elvis or, or take us even back further to your childhood and how you realized this in, innate ability to get back up and go again, to just never take no for an answer, to figure stuff out.
1: Well, I think, fortunately, I was forced to. You know my parents were the kind of parents that thought children should be seen and not heard so they didn't really do much except for made sure we didn't die right they they, they made sure we had clothes and food and you know were safe but they i didn't have the dad that put his arm around me and taught me a bunch of lessons his, he literally would tell me to figure it out myself even when i was little so i kind of remember one time the school gave me a box of candy bars And they told me to go home, world's finest chocolate. And they told me to go home and sell my uh, relatives some candy bars and bring the ones that I didn't sell back. So, of course, I'm from a blue-collar family. I I go home. My brothers and sisters ate half of them, didn't pay for them um, when I wasn't looking. Uh, I tell my dad, you know, hey, I got to pay for these. He said, listen, you, you need to go figure it out. So I went knocking on doors neighbors doors and after three or four doors I realized that I need some sort of presentation some sort of you know gimmick or something to get people to buy so I put the candy bars behind my back and I knocked on the door and they'd answer the door and they and 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 they'd look and they'd see a little kids down there and I said you know do you have the phone number to a good roof repairman and they'd say what I'd say, do you have the phone number to a good roof repair? Cause when you taste one of these, you're going to go through the roof. And literally I started selling boxes at a time. They, they couldn't buy enough. Everybody's laughing, having a good time. And so I, I, I think I was like six or seven years old and I didn't, no one taught me that. I just knew that there had to be some sort of connection in order to make a sale. I wanted to, uh, You know make people laugh so i made that up and next thing you know i outsold everybody in the history of the school still to this day i don't think they've ever sold any more candy bars than that now i wasn't really aware that i was a great salesperson i just happened to you know have a successful attempt at selling candy bars well i'd say you know 9 10 11 years later they're telling me to get a real job and i hadn't worked i'm you know other than odds and ends and whatnot but So I go and get a job at this forest services. And I'm thinking, you know, you're gonna fight forest fires if you get the job because that's what I applied for. So sure enough, I get the job and I think, you know, man, I'm a cool son of a gun, dude. I'm gonna go out and fight forest fires and be a stud. I'm picturing myself in a flannel shirt with an ax over my shoulder and a wolf (laughs) by my side and I'm out to save eagle eggs and shit. (laughs) And so I get up there the first day, man, and I'm telling you, they, I step off the bus and there's this big old bag, black rubber bag of water. And they're like, throw it on your back. You pick it up, it's heavy as hell. They wanted you to put it on your back. And they told me to go up and down the mountain sides looking for stumps that were smoldering and squirt them. It was called a piss bag. So I literally went from freaking macho man firefighter to the piss bag operator, lowest man on the totem pole couldn't believe it, but it was $22 an hour. And back then that was a lot of money. Everybody in my family was blue collar working. They thought I can't even believe you got that job. Like everybody wants that job. You are so lucky to have that job. So a couple days into it, man, I get a little patch of poison oak on my arm. So I go up to the dude and I'm like, dude, I got poison oak. I'm not gonna be able to show up for a couple days. And he said, listen, it's part of the job he opens his shirt and he's covered in poison oak from head to toe. His whole body looks like a scab. And I'm like, excuse me says that's part of the job so literally instantly i quit the job i said dude i'm not doing this anymore you got plenty of people to replace me next day i know i'm going to disappoint everybody so i open up the newspaper and i see an ad for selling cars so i thought to myself okay let me go in and try that so i go into the car dealership i get the job within a month i was making six ten thousand dollars a month i was making more money than anybody in my family the customers were coming to me and the best part is is two days after i started they told me go out and pick out a car i said what do you mean they said go pick any car you want you get a car to drive they're called demos so and i'm like you're giving me a car they're like any car on the lot you can drive so i went out and picked this trans dam they had you know a dealer plate they'd stick it on there and they're like there you go there's your car I couldn't believe it. This this hard labor back breaking nonsense that everyone told me I should get wants me to have poison oak. Over here, I'm making all this money dressing in a suit and a cologne and, and they want me to have a Trans Am. And now it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out which one's best for me. You know, my whole family, my whole blue collar mindset family was telling me, dude, do not work on commission. You'll never make it, you'll never, have any security? You want this other job? They were bummed. They were pissed. I said, dude, I got this. And so I started selling. And that's when I remembered that I've got the ability to sell clothes, influence, and persuade people. And how and old so, were you then? 22? 20? Well, no, I was 17 actually oh, wow. uh, when I got the job because I, I had three weeks to go before I was 18. And you needed to be 18 to sell cars. <laughs> so when I checked, when it asked me how old I was, I just lied and said I was 18. Well, I ran around like a big mouth and told everybody I was actually 17 and they didn't like me because I was kicking their ass and all the other salespeople. They were all older dudes. And so, of course, the word got back to the boss. The boss called me and he said, how old are you? And I said, 17. He said, you wrote 18 on your application. I said, I know. He said, why'd you do that? I said, because you need to be 18 to get the job. He looks for a second and he goes, how many cars you got out right now? I said, 16. It was like two weeks in. Most people never sold 16 the whole month. I said, 16. He said, when do you turn 18? I said, like in another couple weeks. He goes, can you keep your mouth shut that long? I said, yes, sir, I can. He said, well, then keep your mouth shut. Quit telling everybody you're 17. Get out there and sell some cars. And I thought to myself, dude, I'm home. Like, this is my kind of place. So I just sat there and learned to sell cars and went up through the car business and, you know, really got thick skin, you know, uh, learned the trade and, and really got good at sales. You know, a lot of people think, you know, especially car salesmen, you know, that they're lying and, you know, to be good in sales, Dan, you don't have to lie. I think to be good at sales, you have to connect. The
0: transference of, transfer
1: transfer of, of trust. The transference of trust. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I say, I say transfers of, of enthusiasm, but same thing, you know, transfer of confidence of trust. And so, and so, you know, I just kicked butt selling for a long time, popped in and out, sold art, sold all kinds of things. Ended up about 30 years old, running a car dealership.
0: Where were you? How where
1: did, did you, you? Where did you grow? grow up? At this point, I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, sir. But uh, there was this kid in the back, Mexican dude, and his kids and his family would always come in for lunch, and you know, just the nicest family you ever want to see. Good dude, right? Just real good guy. And I kept telling him, like, dude, come up front. Let me show you how to sell. He goes, no, no, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't like sales. He doesn't want to be confrontational, yada, yada, yada. But I noticed that his wife and his kids were always very, you know, quiet and and, and, and shy and, and kind of, you know, head down. You, you saw him in kind of tattered clothes. They didn't make a lot of money. He was minimum wage. No one else worked in the family. So I finally convinced him to let me show you how to sell. I brought him out front within three months, the guy was making fifteen or $20,000 a month. Wow! That money literally transformed the dude into even a better guy. His wife came in happier, smiling. His kids came in laughing and joking and running around in new clothes. He told me that literally I changed his entire life and it made me feel so good. I thought I'm going to quit my job and go train people how to sell clothes and influence. So I quit my job. Went out on the road and thought, man, I'm going to build the biggest training company the world has ever seen. So I go out there and I start getting uh, uh, jobs where, you know, they pay me 10 grand for the day, bring in all their salesmen and I tell them what I tell them. Now, keep in mind, when I worked at this dealership for the longest time, dude, I would bring people right out of Burger King or Foot Locker. I mean, I would take landscapers, anybody, and turn them into badasses real quick. And so I knew I had the ability to freaking do this. And I saw what it did for this guy and it made me just want to do it for other people. It felt so good. So I run out there with gung, all gung-ho and within a month or two, dude, it wasn't working. Like all the people I were training were not miraculously getting better. Everything wasn't necessarily happening like I thought it would. And I couldn't figure out what the hell's the problem. I used to be able to touch people within a month, they'd be good and now I can't figure it out. So I did a little research and I realized there's four key ingredients to train somebody, like effectively train. It's good content, repetition, practice, and accountability. And it, and it dawned on me that when I used to be at this dealership, I would give repetition, practice, and accountability because I worked there 80 hours a week and I was doing it inadvertently. But when I went out on the road and started talking, all I did was brought the good content. I didn't bring the repetition. I didn't bring the accountability. I didn't bring the practice. And so I, once I realized that, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm wasting my time and I'm screwing my customers because for $10,000, they're expecting me to train their team and I can't train their team in one day. So I thought to myself, there's gotta be a better way. That's when I invented Lightspeed VT and that's what literally put me on the map. And I started making millions of dollars much later, But turned me into a multimillionaire, and it dawned on me, looking back, Zig Ziglar used to say it, the best way to help or the best way to get what you want is to help others get what they want. (laughs) Well, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, that's exactly what happened. My whole life, I was out to get rich for myself. I just wanted to make money myself. It was all for me. And until I helped that dude in the back, I didn't ever think about other people. But once I helped that dude and felt that way, I'm like, I want to help other people and just quit my job without even thinking about it and, and, and to go help people. And that's when the that's when the success started happening. That's when the door started opening. And that's when success started chasing me. So I tell people all the time, man, it's no it's no cliche. Help a million people. And I guarantee you, you will not need any help for yourself. I you just it. focus on helping other people solve problems, and you will get everything you ever wanted in life. And and that is literally what happened to me.
0: Okay, so let's just regurgitate. I asked rhetorically, can you train someone to be an entrepreneur, or do they have to be born with that inherent ability or desire to want to fix things, to want to help people? And what you're saying is, yes, anyone who finally makes the decision and according to Zig's quote, you can get anything in this life that you want if you're willing to help enough other people get what they want. Once they have that mind shift, that mindset shift, they can make as much money as they dream about through service before self. Is that what you're saying?
1: 100%. There's three things that I tell people. <clears throat> you master these three things, you'll be unstoppable. Mindset, skill set, and habits. That's the key to everything. Your mindset has to be right. Your skill sets have to be right. And your habits have to be right. So if you just get those three things dialed in, man, nothing can stop you. You'll be literally able to do anything you want to do. OK, so mindset.
0: Take us back to your, to your Elvis story. How old were you? It still intrigues me. And I think that's one of your most iconic lessons. Remember, as speakers, we have to answer three questions to everyone in every audience. Number one, why should I listen to you? It's a credibility piece. Have you done it or are you currently doing it? But number two, can I do it too with my past, with my limitations, with my weaknesses, and with my strengths? And then the third question, if you look at the inverted triangle, I call it my speaker's triangle, it forms a funnel. If you answer question number one, credibility, question number two, possibility, can I do it too? Then you want the usability answer. How do I do it? How do I get from where I am to where I want to be? So obviously you have the credibility piece. Now let's focus it on can I do what Brad Lee has done? Can I do what you teach? And take us right back to your earliest recollection that you know how to get what you want. You know how to make things happen. You know how to figure it out.
1: Well, I think when God was passing out common sense, Dan, he poured the whole bucket on me. Yes, sir. You know, I have I have an extreme amount of common sense personally. And so obviously, if someone else can do it, I know I can do it. And that's what everybody else needs to adopt. If someone else is doing it, you can too. Now, some people will argue that, well, Michael Jordan can do this. You can't do it. Listen, we're not talking about extreme, extremely talented people doing a specific thing. I'm talking about in general, if this guy can get rich, you can get rich. If this guy can find love, you can find love. If this guy can be happy, you can be happy. So at the end of the day, the question is how, how do you do it? Not if you can do it. Most people are stuck on the if part. I go right past if there's no question, I can do it. The question is how do I do it? And then I focus on the how, and then coincidentally enough, the universe starts bringing in people and books and knowledge. And next thing you know, there's the how. Then the next thing is, is, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to pay the price? Dreams come with a price. Abdominals. If you want a six pack, it comes with a price. The question is, Is are you willing to pay it or not? If you are, then let's get going. If you're not, then take the jersey off and sit down, man. Let the players play.
0: <laughs> okay. OK, I keep, I keep begging, begging you for this Elvis story. story. Come, Come on, man. That impresses everyone, everyone who hears it. it because at the up earliest up. age possible, you figured out how to get what you
1: want. Well, again, I, didn't, I don't think I figured it out, Dan. I think, I think I just naturally had a different perspective than most people. So my dad and I are driving to the mall. Now, in the town I lived in, there was a mall called Valley River Center, and there was a hotel called the Valley River Inn, and the Valley River Inn was the nicest hotel in town. And so we're driving to the mall, and Elvis had, you know, was in town for a concert. And of course, everybody loved Elvis, and so I told my dad as we're driving by the Valley River Inn, I'm like, hey man, if Elvis is here, I'll bet you he's staying there. We should go, we should go visit him. So my dad sees a little commotion over in the in the entrance to the hotel. So he rolls up and he rolls down his window and he says, What's going on? And someone goes, dude, Elvis is here, Elvis is here. My dad says, Dang, I'll be damn, you're right. So we pull in, I'm like, let's go meet him, let's go meet him. So we walk in the door, and sure enough, there's a big old crowd standing by the hallway and the and the guards are holding people back. And I said, let's go. And he said, well, we can't, they, they, they won't let you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, look, they're stopping us. And when I looked over, I saw the guards holding the people back, but I saw openings between the legs and I saw a clear path to exactly where I wanted to go. So my dad saw being stopped. I saw an opportunity, I saw a path. Now I wasn't smart enough at that age to realize, okay, let me you know, break this down. But now when I look back, you're exactly right. My mindset, my, my perspective was looking for opportunities. Other people look for challenges and blockages. So again, sometimes you just gotta shift your perspective because when I looked over there, I saw openings and opportunities. I shot through the legs, went right under the rope, right past the guards, and they didn't stop me. I walked right up to the door. Elvis Presley opened up the door. Him and his entourage came out. He walked by, sees this little kid standing in the hallway that was supposed to be cleared of all people. He pats me on the head and he says, how you doing little man? And turns around and start, and walks down the hall. Everybody freaked out because he patted me on the head. And I'm telling you, Elvis was a big deal back then. Absolutely. And so again, I mean, at the end of the day, how did I get to meet Elvis? Well, again, I didn't see op- obstacles. I saw openings. It was the same picture. So now think about that when you look at life. What, what picture are you looking at? Because I can look at the same Situation as somebody else and see opportunity, and they will see challenges. Absolutely. And when you focus on challenges instead of opportunity, you end up talking yourself out of it, losing the nerve, um, you know, conforming.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Don't waste a good recession. So I want to get to the inside scoop, the mindset, the repetition, the preparation of you starting the most amazing, legendary company, Lightspeed VT. So did you conceive this idea and then with the mindset, build it and they will come? Or did you research and find that there was an actual need, a real niche need of these bigwigs investing in personal development, and you came to the rescue? What was your mindset? Did you build it first and expected that to attract them? Or did you find out there was a need and then you accommodated that need? You know, it's funny because I built it for me.
1: My thought was, I'm gonna need a thing that's gonna allow me to give this information with repetition and practice and all the things that were necessary. So I built it completely thinking, I'm gonna put my training in here so it'll work again. Because again, I set out to, to help people and I wasn't helping people. So I had a problem and I solved it with this system, with this software, but I solved it, I solved my own problem. What I didn't realize is as I solved my own problem, i solved a lot of people's problems because training in person one shot at a time does not work it's exposing people it's not training people you look at the military you look at athletes all training actual effective training requires good content repetition practice and accountability otherwise they'd throw you a video of a war and tell you to grab your gun and go no they train you over and over and over and over again so I, I built the system so I could deliver my training so it would work and I could help people again and, and feel good about what I was doing. So I went out there and it started working and now I'm like, okay, cool, I fixed it. So now I'm starting to gain a little traction, but I only got so big and then I kept running into everybody saying, well, we use this person and we use that person and we use this person. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but I'm better than them. I can help you better than them. And There was no talking them out of it. So I thought to myself, So if I had these people on this platform, would you buy it? And they'd say, well, if you had our guy, like Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, uh, Tom Stuker, Grant Cardone, there was a bunch of people in that business. If you had them in this thing, oh, absolutely, we'd buy it. So I just, again, common sense tells me, well, then just go get them. So so I quit trying to sell these people, me, and said, you know, because again, in my mind, if you wanna sell somebody something, dude, you know, make make it easy. Like don't make it difficult, like make it easy. You want, you want Grant Cardone, for example? Well, let me go close Grant Cardone on using this technology. So I started to, uh, and, and plus I didn't wanna compete with all these guys. They had much bigger names, way bigger budgets. And I thought I'll collaborate with them. So I started hitting up the trainers with the big names that everybody wanted. And I said, listen, I have a software that's gonna solve your problem. I know the customers that'll buy it from you. So you have an immediate return on your investment. How about we take my name off this software, put your name on it, take my content out, put your content in it. I've got all the studios, I've got all the people, I've got everything you need. And, And by the way, this was 21 years ago. No one was doing this. So I said, how about, you know, use my software, you go out and close these deals that are, that are wanting you instead of me, and I'll just take a little piece from my niece, a little fraction of the action, a little slice, cause I'm nice. And they agreed. So I started closing the people that teach you to close. And then I went back into these dealerships and these companies and said, hey, uh, I, I got my training and they said, you know, well, will we use so-and-so? And I said, well, just so happens, boom, look at it now. And all of a sudden it morphed into someone else and their training. And so I, we started getting them business and then A couple of the trainers were like, hey, this ain't really fair, you're out there, you know where our customers are, like we don't really like this. And I said, well, dude, how about I just stop being the sales trainer and I just focus on the platform and they all love that. And I'm like, dude, I'm gonna lay back in the cut, help them build their stages, I'll let them be the superstar and I'll just build the platform that supports them all. And I proceeded to go close, Tony Robbins uh you know brian tracy john maxwell everybody and anybody that had a name i was in their face saying dude you need to use this technology to train people better faster stronger cheaper recurring revenue you don't have to be on the road i solved their problem with my software i solved my problem and then quite frankly people didn't know it but the companies that bought their training i solved their problem because they couldn't afford to have the person work there every day for the for a year but with this technology i could put them there virtually as if they were on staff 24/7 for a fraction of the cost I could deliver track and measure interactive content it was a win-win all the way around and that's why it's it's succeeded even for top chef at
0: world 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 poker and
1: world series of poker the UFC
0: absolutely unbelievable okay so this is this is such a great conversation Brad so When I was paralyzed for 14 months and I went to 16 doctors, 15 told me I would never recover. And during that period, I had friends and family members, coaches, teammates who cared. They came up and said, I know what you're going through. And I used to think, you don't have a freaking clue. Psychologists teach us that the average person talks between 100 and 200 words a minute. And yet we think between 200 and 400 words a minute, which means no one ever knows everything that we think. No one ever knows everything that we feel. No one ever knows everything that we really want to say. The author Thoreau was right when he wrote, men lead lives of quiet desperation. So we all know, and could probably list, 10, 20, 100 people who blow smoke, who wear giant hats and they ain't got no cows. So the question on the table is, how did you qualify yourself to become that closet expert in so many aspects of life, Brad, because Dr. Jim Rohn, he's famous for telling us that formal education will make you a living, but self-education will make you a fortune. Let's pull back the covers. Did you graduate from college, or are you a PhD in common sense? Are you a PhD in life? And that leads to me asking you, how did you come up with your sacred six? Because if you cut through the clutter, you actually do have a PhD in life, in sales, in leadership, in success, in love, in, in, in happiness. I can't comp you, compliment you enough, bro. Let's reveal who the real Bradley is as far as your education, how you came up with your Sacred Six before you teach us the Sacred Six.
1: Well, I dropped out of school in the 11th grade. Um, my dad came home, he was a bit of a drinker. He came home drunk, noticed that I hadn't mowed the lawn like he told me to do for several days, was a little bit pissed off about it, asked me why I didn't mow the lawn. I said, I forgot. And he looked at me with that look and he said, you best hit the road. Then he looked at my friend that I had with me and he goes, you too, slick. Now he, he, did, he did say it a little bit differently, but basically what he said is, It's time for you to go. And he had that look on his eyes because sometimes my dad, you know, he was drunk a lot, but he was a functioning drunk. And sometimes he was happy and sometimes you did not want to, you know, get in his way. So this was one of the times you could see the look in his eye that there was no talking about it. So I went up and I said, can I get some clothes? He said, get some clothes. So I went upstairs, grabbed a bag of clothes and left and never went home again. So at 16 years old, I'm out on my own. Um, And of course, you know, i decided, why would I go to school? That's nonsense. So I quit school like an idiot. But in hindsight, it's probably why I'm the way I am. A lot of my friends that went on to college and had good families and good upbringing, and they went on to college. A lot of them, uh, believe it or not, work for me or or work for people like me. Um, To me, I went to the school of life and they went to some nonsense school where they're learning from people that haven't ever done it who learned it from people who haven't ever done it who learned it from people who haven't ever done it so i started learning from the people that are doing it i started doing it and again i think you're going to learn best by failure you know in my book the hard way it opens up with death death cuz i died when i was 2 years old cuz i drank turpentine my dad told me stay out of stay out of the uh, cupboards stay out of the cupboards turns out you know it, two years old I must have got under the cabinet and drank turpentine and they found me on the floor rushed me to the hospital hospital said I was dead but anyway the books that opens up it says death is the best teacher there is the problem is you can't afford the lessons because <laughs> if you really want to learn something get killed by it and and trust me you learn quickly <laughs> just like putting your hand in fire so you learn quicker that way And unfortunately, I learned the hard way my entire life. You know, I didn't have any mentors or coaches and I wasn't smart enough to ask for them, even if they were there. You know, I wouldn't listen to anybody. You know, I thought I knew everything. Um, You know, and if you were doing something, I knew there was a better way of doing it. There had to be Like, like, you know, so I was always that person looking to improve whatever anyone was doing. I wasn't smart enough to just emulate what everyone was doing. But anyway, after a long time and and, and a lot of different, you know, experiences, you know, you end up learning things. So, so ultimately that developed into the sacred six and the sacred six is really just a matter of teaching people how to start to like themselves, because believe it or not, there's people in the world that can't figure out why they don't have success. And it's because deep down in their subconscious, they don't think they deserve success. They don't like themselves enough to be successful. They don't like themselves enough to demand a better relationship, a better existence. And it's below their awareness. Subconscious literally means below awareness. So it's not even something that that we're aware of. And I used to do the same thing. And so I developed the sacred six to kind of get my way out of it. And the sacred six literally just builds up somebody's self-esteem, self-worth, self-value. And people always say, how do I build my net worth? I say, build your self-worth and your net worth will follow. That's literally how you build your net worth, build your self-worth. I've had people come to me and ask me, you know, how do I make more money? I say, charge more money, you know? charge more money that's that, how you make more money and that, and that becomes like, a, a self-esteem, self-esteem issue right? i'm not worth that,
0: that for, for some, some reason, reason right? right that's
1: what they end up thinking like why like i can't charge 500 dollars. why not well i'm not worth that's not worth five bottom line it's always this self-limiting belief and i had the same thing but when i started realizing it through just doing it like when i started speaking you know i had speakers professional speakers talking about ten thousand dollars is what they made and one day i'll be able to make that but i'm gonna have to speak free for a long time before Someone called me one day, they said, what do you charge to speak? I said, $25,000. They said, okay. <laughs> and then I went I went for a long time at $25,000. No, no, I said, oh, no, I know you. You
0: thought, ah, should I, I should have asked for 50. Man. What, what an idiot, man, I should have asked for 50.
1: No, because, because I was preparing <laughs> myself to everybody else who was getting 10. Oh yeah. So like i'm a badass i'm getting twenty-five thousand. but after a while i'm sitting there and, and eventually i started making a bunch of money where i don't really want your twenty-five thousand if i have to leave my family and fly over here and do all this so i didn't really want to speak as much and when people would call me one day i said fifty thousand dollars and now and now they're giving me fifty thousand dollars and pretty soon i'm going to raise it to a hundred thousand dollars and then one day two hundred thousand dollars And of them like, well no one will ever you know hire you for that That's your limiting belief. People will pay me for that. And if people are listening to what I'm saying, it's worth it. You got it. What I say on stage is worth it. And I don't have a speech. I have a story. There's a big difference. I don't speak. I talk. Exactly. And at the end of the day, when I walk out there, I don't necessarily have any agenda. You know, well, what are you trying to do? I'm not trying to do anything. I'm I got paid to show up and tell people what I think and what I know and that's what I'm gonna do. And I try to you know measure the audience and, and think to myself what is the most valuable information i think they need or they should know to help them and whatever it is they're doing and it depends on the audience sure. but most people are trying to make more money they're trying and, to they're trying to grow they're trying to be better but and that's the easiest thing because the biggest lie i've ever been told in life is that it's not that simple because it is that simple You want to make more do more how about that yeah
0: oh that's rocket science you want to make more do more okay Okay. let me interrupt you the ultimate compliment because we're both family men if somebody's going to pay you 25k 50k 100k and the limiting belief of outside of your mind and outside of our world where we know you're worth it is saying "Ah, nobody would pay you that with a suicide pandemic being in your audience a few times, Brad, and being on your pod- podcast a couple of times, hopefully with, with another couple coming, you talk about things that can save a life. Maybe the outside impression is that you're all about money because you've got the, the amazing sizzle reel, slow motion, sunglasses, cigar, coming up on the stage with the fog machine and the moth spotlight, pulling up in the Ferrari. But I'm telling you, bro, when we leave your audience, you have told the stories enough where we leave as better husbands, better fathers, better human beings. That the Bradley that people might perceive on the outside with the flash and the guns is only the tip of the spear, bro. And I want everybody to know on my podcast that you save marriages, you save businesses, you save lives. Your message appeals to teenagers and and old folks like me who are not going to retire. We're refiring because we still have that service-before-self mentality. And you can see I'm tearing up because this is honest talk between you and I that we've had several times. You are the real deal. So illuminate the six, the sacred six in that mind sight, my, my, my my friends, Listen from that mindset, from not just being a better human doing, but becoming a better human being as a result of Bradley's wisdom, knowing that he has done it. He does know. He has been paralyzed physically, emotionally, spiritually, if you will. And he came out of it. So please illuminate the sacred six, bro, with everyone in that mindset that you are, you are the, the Oracle, you are the sage. You have so much more depth to you than just a Ferrari and a cigar.
1: Well, I appreciate that, you know, but if I've saved a bunch of marriages, I'm sure I've ruined a few as well. So at the end of the day, I realized a long time ago, you're not going to make everybody happy. And if everybody can just understand that one simple principle, they'll stop worrying so much about what everybody else thinks because you're not going to make anyone else, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to, to make everybody happy. So who can you make happy yourself? So again, start worrying more about what you think and stop worrying about getting validation from everybody else. So the sacred six really gets you over time. It's not an overnight thing, but it's an over time thing. And really what it does is it builds up your self-confidence and your self-worth. So the first thing that i decided that i had to do is forgive myself because i used to do some crap and you know i i've literally like again when they say people can't change dan yes they can okay i right now i am the most ethical person i know integrity like you wouldn't believe like it's the most important thing to me growing up the exact opposite dude i'd freaking lie to you if the truth was sounding better I'd freaking I, I I'd literally go in and shoplift from stores and sell the merchandise like I was a hustler. I was a punk kid. And people say people don't change. Yes, they can. And yes, they do. And yes, they should. Because here's the bottom line. You must change in order to get something else. So if you're in a position where you're not happy well, or, or you don't you don't have what you want, well, then you have to do something different. So if you want to get something different, you have to do something different. In order to do something different, you have to believe something different because you do what you do because you believe what you believe, whether it's true or not. So the only way to change what you're doing, which is the only way to change what you're getting, is to change what you believe. So how do you change what you believe? There's only one way to do it, and that is to get new information, new information and most people they wake up every day and they go through life thinking they know everything they're not they're not voraciously looking for new information which means their thoughts and beliefs are not changing their wants and desires change but wants and desires isn't what makes it happen okay your actions are what makes it happen your habits so at the end of the day how do you change what you do you got to change what you believe and that's get new information so in my journey of getting new information i started to make some realizations And I put six of them together, applied them, and it basically got me to raise my own value and my own worth to where I'm not so worried about what everybody thinks of me because I think enough of me. I don't need your validation to know that I'm a good dude. So if more people could do that, it's wonderful. The Sacred Six is is, is an attempt to get people at least uh, on the path, if not all the way home. The first thing we have to do is forgive ourselves that's a big one most people find it very difficult to do that but again i mean everybody deserves a second chance i don't care what you did and it was easy for me to forgive myself you know i i i listed out everything i did and i thought about everything i did and i just said listen all that's behind me i apologize to everybody for everything and you know i'm moving forward i i i'm redeemed okay if you believe in god you believe in jesus you know hey he says to forgive, too. So guess what? I'm, I'm not going to question that. I can forgive. So I went ahead and forgave myself. The
0: next thing I did let is me, I let me, just, to- let me just Let me just add to that. What they say is, if you hold a grudge and remain angry, it's like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. So forgiveness is the most healing thing for the self, forgiving people who don't even deserve to be forgiven so that we can let go. And, and stop it from festering inside of us so i i really wanted to honor that what a perfect place to begin forgive yourself yeah and that's the hardest one to do for a
1: lot of people but forgive yourself and others so you have a clean slate then the next thing you do is you commit it's just a decision all you do is commit to do what you say you're going to do oh. and a lot of people get anxiety over that and here's what i tell you you get to decide what you agree to. Just stop agreeing to everything. Say no more often, okay? But, but when you commit to do something, you make sure you do it. And more importantly than everybody else in the world, you commit to do what you say you're gonna do. So if you say you're gonna start a diet on Monday, by God, start, start a diet on Monday. When you commit, you have to do it. That's important because it will chip away at your self-esteem if you don't follow through on your promises to yourself. It, it basically reinforces that you're not worth it. And and that's what happens is is the subconscious mind is saying, hey, this guy ain't worth a better life. This guy ain't worth money. This guy doesn't even keep his word. He doesn't keep his promises. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a cheater. He's a fraud. He's running around acting like he's somebody he's not. He knows he's not, which is the funniest thing. So again, why are you acting like someone you're not? Well, to impress other people. We're, again, we're back in this, it's, it's madness. It's like, dude, Quit worrying about everybody else. Start figuring out who you are, and then start to like yourself. And then once you like yourself, now everybody else doesn't matter as much. So anyway, you commit to do what you say you're going to do. Step three, you rack up the wins, because if you think about what is confidence, confidence is the memory of winning. Wow. Like if I if I gotten a hundred fights. I would be much more confident getting into the next hundred fights. Now, if I lost all those fights, I would be much less confident going into the next hundred fights. So confidence is really just the memory of winning. So if we know this, again, this isn't rocket science. I like to keep things simple, but everybody says, well, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. Okay. If you know that memory of winning is what equals confidence, well then how come we don't win more often? so that's step three rack up the wins and here's the crazy part we decide what a win is so if i say hey you know what getting up in the morning and and, and jogging for 10 minutes is a win someone else that's all ripped up says dude that ain't a win Why are you letting their opinion invalidate yours? Like, if you decide it's a win, then it's a win and you get to decide. So just lower what you believe a win actually is so you can start winning all day, every day. I'm a winner because every day, all day, I'm winning. I'm winning, I'm winning. People say, what are you smoking cigars for? Dude, this is a win. I get to smoke a $100 cigar anytime I want to. To me,
0: when I smoke a cigar, that's a win. And George Burns. And George Burns, he was on his 11th or 12th cigar by noon every day. Some days he would smoke 20 cigars. Johnny Carson asked him on a show, on The Tonight Show, so what does your doctor say? He says, my doctor's dead. He was 95 or 96, 99, I can't remember. Good for you.
1: Well, you rack up the wins on a regular basis, every day, all day. Now, again, big stretch goals are good, but for long-term, like today, just look at today, don't worry about tomorrow. What can you do today to make a win? You know, I can make my bed, I can brush my teeth, I can work out, I can eat right, I can make one more call, I can make one more sale, whatever, like you decide what those are, but but make decisions and intentionally win and acknowledge your win every single day. That's a win, that's a win, that's a win, and pretty soon the days are going by and you're winning all day, every day, and believe it or not, you start to stand a little taller. You start to smile a little brighter and you start to feel a little bit different like you were a winner. And you start feeling like you deserve more shit. And and you do, that's the crazy part. You do deserve more, But but now you start to feel like it. That's where step four comes in. Because step four is where most people slide back down. Step four is get rid of all the idiots. Anyone that frickin wants to tell you that you're doing stuff wrong. I liked you the old way. Who do you think you are? Dude, you didn't even graduate high school. What do you think you're going to be a millionaire? Now you're listening to these gurus, all the negativity that comes into your head. You got to get rid of it because what you plant will grow. If you plant wheat, wheat grows to think something else will grow is stupid. So again, if you believe letting negative shit in will produce positive shit, you're wrong. Okay. You have to let positive in and then positive grows. So block what's coming in by step four, which is get rid of the idiots. That's what I say, but it's basically get rid of all the negativity. Okay. Then step five, step five is basically mapping out and visualizing exactly what success looks like to you because everybody wants to know what's the key to success. Well, there is no key. It's a combination and everybody has their own. That's why you see a lot of rich people commit suicide because guess what, dude? They didn't figure out what success looked like for them. They, they thought it was money because their family did or someone else did. Like you gotta map out and visualize what success looks like for you on a regular basis. Visualize, feel what it's like, know exactly where you're going. So every day, all day, you've got a compass. Now listen, if every decision you made was better, your life would be better. So literally our life boils down to our choices. The choices we make determine the road we take. That's the bottom line. So if that's the truth, which I believe it is, then I just need to make better choices. Well, how do I make better choices? You simply ask one question, but you have to know where you're going in order to to do this. That's why you need to map out and visualize, so you know where you wanna be. Then every decision that comes down your way you simply ask yourself, does this move me towards that or away from that? Because everything you do will move you towards that or away from that. That's it. So you make better decisions by mapping out and visualize where you're going and then you run it by the filter of, does this move me towards or away, towards or away? All day long I'm like, towards or away, towards or away. And, and, and you just find yourself making better, smarter choices. Yep. And so now all of a sudden, dude, things are starting to really change, really turn around, you start to feel good about yourself, you start to achieve more. Because when you start to think you deserve more, miraculously, you start to do more. And when it boils down to it, dude, if you want more, do more. You do more, get better, and scale. Those are the three things. One, if you want more, you gotta do more, get better, and scale. It's that simple. Well, it can't be that simple. It is that simple. I've done it. I can show people how to do it. I've shown people how to do it. I had a guy one time tell me, uh, yeah, Brad, I need, I want you to coach me. I said, I don't coach people. He said, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. I said, When do you want to start? <laughs> he wired me a hundred thousand dollars. I said, What do you do? He tells me what he does. I said, Well, tell me how that happens. He says, Well, I set appointments Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I close deals on Thursday and Friday. And, you know, I'm like, Well, how much are you make in a year? He says, About seven hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, Damn, dude, that's pretty good, actually. You know, you're doing that closing two days a week. He says, Yeah. I says, Well, why don't you just close? five days a week. And he says, well, I got to make the appointments. I said, why do you have to make the appointments? He said, what do you mean? I said, dude, you you, you can hire a virtual assistant now for like 150 bucks a week. They'll call people on LinkedIn. They'll fricking do anything you tell them. All you gotta do is train them how to set the appointment. And now you can spend five days a week closing the appointments that someone else is setting. And he looked like a ghost. Gotta go, gotta go, hung up. Dude, he went from 750 to 2.6 million in one year. Cannot stop talking about it. And all I said was, dude, you know, ultimately do more than you're doing. So anyway, he hired somebody, whoa, that was rocket science. But anyway, (laughs) the sixth one is, is seek new information on a regular basis. Most people, they do not realize that to change what you're doing, you have to change what you believe. And that's the only way to change what you believe. So on a regular basis, you need to seek new information. There's not a day go by that. I don't think I need some new information today. You know, pick up a book, pick up a Bible, pick up the Quran, get some new information. If you already know it, dude, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about new information because what you know right now is causing you to do what you do right now. You need new information. So those are the sacred six, you, you forgive yourself, you commit to do what you say you're gonna do, you rack up the wins on a regular basis, you get rid of all the negative idiots in your life, you map out and visualize exactly where you wanna go, and then you seek new information every single day and then you freaking wait. But if you do that over a 90 day period, you literally will change your entire perspective and when it boils down to the bottom line, that's the difference between happiness and, and depression perspective so So I knew you ever heard that you ever heard that I you know I was pissed off that I had no shoes until I met a man with no feet yeah that's perspective absolutely
0: Absolutely. so there you have it ladies and gentlemen Brad Lee L.E.A. dropping bombs top podcast in the world and you just received over a hundred thousand dollars worth of information maybe a million dollars worth of information if you're willing to take action. One of the things that I want you to always remember about Bad Lee is I encourage you to just follow him, join his tribe, and share this episode with everyone in, in the sound of your, or within the, 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 your, your personal reach. Bradley is always present in the moment. When you're having breakfast, he doesn't check his phone. He doesn't say hi to people walking by and everybody wants their picture. Everybody wants a little piece of Brad when he gets through speaking at some great event he's always present in the moment and on this podcast episode obviously bottom line Brad just reminded us that we can only answer where are you right now it's like ordering an Uber ride that requires that you enter in your current location and if you lie about where you are the directions won't work so I challenge all of you to take Brad's wisdom to heart re-listen evaluate take action Brad, one final hot seat question. If you had one hour to live, your last lecture, as a family man, as a as a as a sales professional, as a philanthropist, as a business owner investor, what's your message to the world? You're all tubed up, you're in a hospital bed, but you are like 150 years old because you've taken such good care of yourself. What's your message to the world? My podcast is on purpose called Power Players which ignites the personal power in each of us. You don't have to be Bradley. Just be the best you you can be. You're going to make a lousy somebody else. What's your final message to the world if you are one hour to live, bro? That's a good question. I think
1: it would be that nobody is better than you. They're just ahead of you. Nobody is better. They're just ahead. You know, at the end of the day, man. Actually, I don't know if I'd do that. You know what I'd say? I'd say this, Dan. I'd say focus on, if if you want true happiness, focus on three things. Number one, your health, because without that, nothing else matters. Number two, relationships, because when you find someone on their deathbed, that's what they're worried about. They're not worried about their cars or their money. Third one is money. Everyone says, don't worry about it. Worry about it, okay? focus on it what you focus on grows so health relationships and money and the crazy part is money comes from relationships every dollar you've ever gotten have ever received came from a relationship and what's crazy is the more money you get the more relationships you get the more relationships you get the more money you get the more money you get the healthier you can get the healthier you get, the more money you get, the more relationships you get. It's like this whole cyclical thing. So I would tell people, quit worrying about everything else. It's too confusing. Don't worry about finding love and do all this. Just focus on three things, your health, relationships, and money. Everything falls into those three buckets. I've asked a lot of people, what does it fall in those buckets? And people will say, you know, God, that's a relationship family. That's a relationship. Like literally there's only three things that matter. And if you talk to a lot of people on their deathbed, Dan, they're going to worry about relationships. So why aren't we making more of them and nurturing and appreciating the ones that we have? I tell people all the time to appreciate their wives, appreciate their spouses, appreciate their kids, appreciate things. Because when you appreciate your wife, she appreciates If you ignore your wife or you don't appreciate your wife, she depreciates. Why would you want your wife to depreciate? So if you take that same thing about a wife or anything else, a business, a relationship or anything, and you start to have gratitude and appreciate everything in your life, I'm telling you, by the time you go through it and and you're done, you've had your shot, you're going to live the most epic life you could have lived. That's the but that's the best I can give. If if someone awesome. can understand what I just said, man, their
0: life would, will will literally transform to everything they want it to be. Awesome, Brad. Now you know why I love you. I admire you. How do we invite people to join your tribe? What's your your easiest accessible thing to do? Dropping bombs? How do we how do we join your tribe? Yeah, I mean dropping bombs. I have
1: guests like you, and bring on guests, and we talk about stuff like this ultimately we're we're dropping bombs on challenges and 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 situations that have happened so other people can learn from those uh that's my podcast i have a book called lessons i've learned the hard way so you don't have to just the hard way um but you can just follow me on tiktok instagram linkedin twitter facebook anywhere and everywhere there's social media i haven't been canceled yet
0: (laughs) And for those uh, of you who might think he's, his tagline, his call sign is Stud Muffin, Hunker, Bird, and Love. No, it's Brad Lee, L-E-A, which it's is obviously the real, yeah, the real, the real Bradley. Bradley. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Dan Clark. Power Players with Dan Clark. The most amazing guest ever, Bradley. Thanks, good brother. You know I love you, and I can't wait to see you again face to face.
1: Likewise, ma'am. Honor to be here. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, bro. See you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.